Last week, we kicked off a new series simply entitled More, and it just, it echoes what's been in my heart since the beginning of this year, that I just want more of God. I just want more. I met Kevin and Mary. I don't know if you remember the word you said, Mary. You said, we're just looking for more, more. Uh, I think there's a hunger in people for more, and maybe we haven't quite reached that place where we want to be. But I want to share this message. I started off last week. I want to share this message. They just simply, I want more. I want more. Uh, I bet every single one of us at some time or another, we find ourselves just wanting more. Whether it's in the natural, in the physical, in relationships, in the spiritual, we just want more. And people are after more everywhere you look. More money, more power, more stuff. The billionaire wants more money. The politician wants more power. The kid wants more candy. You know, it's just we live in a world where everybody just simply wants more, but not enough people want more of what God has. It seems like there are fewer and fewer people that really want to go deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ. While we sense a great hunger here, I believe our hunger can increase. Can I get an amen? I want my hunger to increase. I want my thirst to increase. So we're going to look just for a moment today in the life of, the, of a man by the name of Job in a book named after him. And I want the more that God gave him. Because when you take a first glance, you think, well, he just got more stuff. But there was something deeper going on in Job's life. Uh, we know that he had seven sons. He had three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. And the Bible says that he was one of the greatest men in that whole region of the East, uh, blameless and was holy. Uh, but one day, while he's sitting there minding his own business, a messenger comes up to him. And this all, and I'm going to paraphrase through chapter one. We'll get to chapter 42 in just a second. Uh, I won't paraphrase every single chapter, but we'll hop, skip, and jump and get there momentarily. But he's sitting there minding his own business when a messenger comes in and says, hey, Job, your oxen, which were 500, were plowing, and the 500 donkeys that were grazing nearby, the Sabaeans attacked, took all of your donkeys and your livestock, made off with them, and killed the servants, and I'm the only one escaped to tell you. And before he left, another messenger came up and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all of your sheep, 7,000 sheep, just burned them all up, destroyed the servants, and I'm the only one left to tell this story. And before that one left, another messenger came up and said, hey, the Chaldeans raided your camels, 3,000 of them, made off with them, and put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one left to tell the story. Before he left, another messenger showed up and said, this is a really bad day, isn't it? Another messenger showed up and said, your sons and your daughters, they were feasting at your oldest brother's house and a mighty wind swept in, hit the four corners of the building. It fell upon them and they all died. And I'm the only one left to tell this story. That's a bad day. Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, he began to worship, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll leave this earth. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He chose to worship in the midst of his darkest night. Now, the next few chapters go through a lot of emotional roller coasters. Job's wife tells him, curse God and die. I mean, he, he faces a lot more challenges after this. His friends tell him there must be sin in your life. 
He's trying to figure this thing out. He's battling with his own emotions, his own understanding of what in the world God is doing and how could God allow this to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And we get all the way to chapter 42. I told you I could get there pretty quick. Chapter 42, verse number one. Follow along with me on the screen or on your Freedom Church app. All the scriptures and notes are right there under sermon notes. Then Job reply, replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is, that, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He's acknowledging the fact that he couldn't comprehend everything that was going on during this difficult time. You said, listen now, and I'll speak. I'll question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He's talking about coming into the realization of God being God, even in circumstances that he doesn't understand. I've heard of you, but now I see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He breaks down in humility, surrenders his own will, and calls upon God. And it says, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job, sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And there's a whole lot right there about when you act right, when you follow right, when you do right, when you trust God even in the midst of circumstances that don't seem to make a sense, God will always have your back. But that's a whole nother message. Verse 10, after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes, gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. In verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more, everybody say more, more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep. If you go back and look at how many he had before, this is exactly twice as much. He had 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons, three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hepak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years, a full life. Job 42, verse number 12 is the key verse. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former past or more than the former part. Webster defines more as simply this, being in greater quantity, amount, measure, degree, or number. No matter how you slice it, it's more. It's more than what you had before. But it's not just things that I'm talking about. It's so much deeper than that. And I wanna answer three questions today as we try to figure out how to get this more that God wants us to have. Is it just twice as many things? Is it a more expensive car? Is it a 
house that's twice as big as what you had before? What, what is this more that we're after? The title of this is, I want more. What am, what am I actually talking about? Well, let's answer three questions. How do we get more? Those who get more, they walk a special path. God doesn't give more to just anybody. He gives more to the holy and to the humble. Be holy. Job 1, in the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. He was holy. You have to set yourself apart if you want to position yourself for the more that God has. You can't just live any way you want and expect God to bless your life. So let me ask you a question. Are you living a holy life? You don't have to answer that. But what if I came to your work? Let's say I showed up at your work, Chris, and I said, hey, guys, tell me, is Chris holy? They're going to answer one of three ways. They're going to say, absolutely. Man of God. We watch him. He prays over every meal. He prays over people that are hurt. He encourages people that are down. He's always talking about God, always talking about the Lord. Man of God. Or they're going to say, I don't know, which is a problem. Or they're going to say, are you kidding me? Which is a bigger problem. Are you living a holy life? Well, let me ask your friends and I'll tell you whether you're living a holy life. See, a lighthouse doesn't sound an alarm. It doesn't make any noise to draw attention to itself. It simply shines bright. And that's what holiness is. It just shines bright. You don't have to tell people you're holy. You don't have to tell people how good you are. Your light just shines when you're living a holy life. Can I get an amen? So you got to be holy, but the next, you got to be humble. Job 42, 5 and 6 says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He was humbling himself. Job humbled himself before God, and this prepared him for more. In fact, 1 Peter uh, 5, 6, and 7 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. If you want to be exalted, if you want promotion, if you want increase, you've got to humble yourself before God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. And we're never more full of ourselves, or we're never more empty than when we are full of ourselves. So you've got to empty yourself. The only way to build a tower up is to go low and build a foundation deep. In the same way, you want to, you want to rise, you want to increase, you want promotion, you want more, you've got to go low. You've got to humble yourself. There was a pastor that finally got a chance to speak at a community gathering, and he was so excited, so proud of himself for getting invited, and he spoke, and when they came up after, afterwards to offer him an honorarium check, he says, no, it was reward enough just to be invited to speak. Why don't you put that to better use? And the guy giving the check said, well, they actually do have a fund, a special fund. He said, well, just put it in that fund. What's that fund for? Well, that fund so we can get a better speaker for next year. <laughs> Listen, humble yourself or God will find ways to humble you. Be humble, be holy. That's the path to more. So the second question is this, what will more cost me? Because more isn't cheap. More has a cost. The price involves the loss of everything you value. The willingness to lose everything. You say, Pastor, you're going backwards on me now. 
Thought we're talking about more. Now you're talking about less. The fact is more comes at the cost of less stuff and less self. What are you willing to lose? What are you willing to give up? The price of less, less stuff. Job lost everything in his life. Everything. Family, friends, finances, his health. He lost everything. And most of us are in this business of increasing stuff, material things. We fail to understand that our stuff can actually come in between us and God's more. Because God has so much more. We talked about this last week. By learning to pray in the spirit, we learn to tap into the things that you've never even asked, you've never even imagined. God has so much more prepared for us. You just have to trust him. He's got so much more. In fact, Jesus challenged us not to seek the more of this world, but seek the more of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then what happens? Yeah, yeah, all things get added to you. You get God's more. You can try to design your own life. You can plan your own life out. But I'm going to tell you, God has a better design for every single one of us. And when we're willing to lose our stuff, and we're willing to lose ourselves. we step into God's more. Because the more that we think of is very temporal, the more that God is talking about is eternal. The price of less self, that's humbling ourselves and humiliating ourselves. Because self wants recognition. Self wants praise. Self wants to be the center of attention. But when we're willing to reduce self, and die to self, we step into God's more. Number three, third question. Now, I'm not gonna take much longer. Worship team, come back up here, please. What are the benefits of more? Okay, so let's say we die to ourself. We die to our stuff. We're willing to let it all go. What's the benefit? Job 40 to 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter named Jemima, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen, Hepa. It's interesting that he names the three daughters, doesn't name the sons. My granddaughter would tell me it's because girls rule and boys drool. But uh, the fact is God wanted us to know something here. He wanted us to pay attention to something here. Because he's trying to get something across to us that when we step into the more that God has, what is he actually saying to us? What do these names mean? Here's what these names mean. Jemima means new day. God has turned darkness to light. And that's exactly what he did for Job, whenever we step into the more that God has for us, he takes our darkness and he turns it into light. He allows the sun to rise on the dark night in your life. And some of you are in the darkest season of your life. And right here in our country, it feels like we're in the darkest season of our life. But I believe that God is going to turn the darkness into light. And if his people who are called by his name will pray, we'll humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways and seek his face. He said he would hear from heaven. He 
would forgive our sin and he would heal our land. I still believe that God can bring a new day. Some of you are tired of the old day. You're tired of the pain. You're tired of the struggle. You're tired of the the routine and the mundane. I believe God has taken us into a new day. You just got to start claiming it. You got to start believing it. And you got to start walking that path of humble and holy. Keziah means fragrance. God had replaced the stench of loss with the fragrance of victory. There was a stench of loss that was in Job's life. There was that pain of losing everything. And let me tell you something, I know America has experienced a lot of loss. Our families, our communities have experienced a lot of loss. I'll say, thank God, here at Freedom, Starla and I were talking about this yesterday. Someone is asking us, and nobody within our Freedom family has died of COVID, and I thank God for that, but I know we have a lot of family members who have. There's been a lot of loss, and there may be a stench of loss, the twinge, the pain of loss, but God's going to replace that with the fragrance of victory. The same way when Jesus walked out of that tomb, the power of the resurrection raised him up, gave breath back into a breathless, lifeless body, allowed him to walk out of that tomb before the stone had been moved, walked through the wall into the room where the disciples were and showed his scars in his hands and his side. The resurrected body still scarred by the nails, still scarred by the spear, Why were the scars still there? Because the scars were not a symbol of his defeat. The scars were a symbol of his victory. And God is going to change the stench of loss and restore it with the fragrance of victory. Where there's been pain, where there's been hurt, where there's been heartache, where there's been confusion, where there's been absolutely, this doesn't make any sense, insanity. God is gonna replace it with a fragrance of victory, a fragrance of beauty. God's getting ready to make some sense out of some things that haven't made sense in a long time. You gotta trust him when we are willing to die to ourselves walk a holy and a humble life, die to our things, our plans, our desires, and trust him, then we allow him to bring us his more that turns darkness into light, the stench of loss into the fragrance of victory, and then last, Karen Hepic, which by definition is a box of eye paint. It was a cosmetic. It was used to refer to glory and brightness. God had replaced Job's pain with God's glory. God's going to take the pain of your past and even the pain of your present and he's going to replace it with his glory. You say, well, how in the world does he do that? He does that because he takes your pain and he gives it purpose. When you're willing to share the story that you've been through. He takes your mess and he turns it into a message. He takes your test and turns it into a testimony. And he allows all the stuff that you've been through to become something that you can use to help somebody get through their mess. He allows his glory to be seen in the midst of your trial and your pain. But he's, he's going to allow you to experience the victory first so that now you can share that with others. The more that God has, it gives you reason to praise him. Job quickly said, he said, I came into this world with nothing. 
I'm going to leave this world with nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm going to praise him no matter what. Some point, sometime you've got to get to that place in your life if you want to experience the more that God has. Or you can keep hanging on to your stuff. You can keep hanging on to your toys. You can keep hanging on to your dreams. Or you can trust God that his dreams are better. His plans are better. His more is so much better than anything we could imagine. Alan Gardner was a missionary, one of the giants, one of the greats back in the late 1800s, experienced many physical hardships and challenges in his service to our Savior. In fact, he was known as saying, while God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. It was 1851. He was 57 years of age. He was serving on the Picton Islands in the southern tip of South America when they found his lifeless body that had succumbed to disease and starvation, they found a journal laying next to his lifeless body there with his last entry that was written by a very unsteady hand. And it said this, I'm overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. I think how, how in the world can somebody at 57 years of age battling with loneliness on a missionary field away from his home and his family, battling with disease and starvation, be able to write and pin the words, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. How could anybody say that, believe that, experience that. You know why? Because he had learned to tap into the more that God has. Not the more that this earth has. Listen, I'm all about you being financially secure and financially blessed and financially independent and taking care of your family and your children. Do it, do it, do it, do it. But not not at the expense of God's more. Because God's more is so much better. His more is so much more rewarding. His more is so much more fulfilling. His more is so much better. You just got to trust him. Corey Ten Boom, who spent time in the German concentration camp, she said this. She said, often I heard people say how good God is, and we prayed that it wouldn't rain on our church picnic, and God gave us great weather. Yeah, God's good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. She said, I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged and everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. And I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, Betsy said, he's not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. She said, there's an ocean of God's love available and there's plenty for everyone. How? How could a woman dying say the steadfast love of God is overwhelming because she had tapped into the more that God has? Quit chasing the things of this earth. Quit thinking that the things of this earth are going to satisfy and they're going to make you happy and they're going to meet all of your needs. Only God can do that. 
I want more of what God has. I want more of what he says I need. Oh, I believe that he's gonna take care of me. He's gonna take care of my family. He's gonna guide my steps. He's gonna guide my, my decisions. He's gonna guide every part of my life. But my life's happiness, my life's contentment is not based upon a bank account. It's not based upon the car I drive or the house I live in. It's not based upon the clothes I wear. It's not based upon anything but him. And when I turn my attention and my focus completely upon him, he brings a satisfaction that nothing else in this world can bring. And I want us to tap into that more. God has more for each and every one of us. Come on, stand to your feet all over this place. And I'm going to ask you if you will just to lift up your hands and put a cry out to God for more. Say, God, give me more. I want more of what you have, more of what you desire, more of your plans and your dreams and your heart, more of your passion, more of you, oh God. I want more of you, more of you. Lord, I'm willing to lay myself and my plans and my desires, my dreams down at the altar. I lay them at your feet today. And I say, God, I just want more of you here in this house of miracles. I put my trust in the God of miracles. I put my trust in the God who knows me better than myself. God, I've heard of you, but 